Hi, everybody. Welcome to our Can You Roleplay It episode for Labyrinth. Last week, we talked about the movie, which is a highly rated film here in the Swords and Satire studio. 30 for 30. 30 for 30 Swords. That's right. One of our one of our highest rated <laughs> movies of all time. Probably. Also, probably the movie that we have watched the most of all movies. I don't know. Amongst all three of us. I mean, Jack probably carries a lot of that, but, you know, I, I've seen it a fair, my fair share, because I watched it a bunch when I was a kid, and then I watched it a bunch with Jack when he was a kid, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a different experience. I did not see this movie as a kid. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of weird, considering how I turned out. You'd think I would have seen this movie a lot. Maybe I'd be more into musical theater if I had. <laughs> Maybe. You'd be singing all the goddamn time. Um, More than I already do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I was in acapella and choir like growing up, but I still don't like that when people fucking start singing in your face. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it in people's faces. That would be rude. It feels like it when people just like are musical types and they start singing. I don't know. It's not every time, but it's like. If they're singing a musical, it's just certain types of people when they do this and you're just like, shut up, please. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. When I hang out with some of my friends who are in choir or I hang out with their choir and we go out to a restaurant with like a group of 30 people and they just start singing because they're like, oh, I love that part in the song where it goes like, Oh, and then they all start harmonizing, and I'm just like, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I know. It's so funny because, like, I was a part of that world for so long, so many years growing up, all the way through high school. But I just, I, I never caught on with that. <laughs> Uh, you guys know that we're alienating some of our listeners right now. <laughs> oh, well, look, we love everybody. And, and you know, do whatever you want to do, because we're going to have our feelings and you're going to get to do what you want to do. Don't let us stop you. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we start talking about uh, can you role play Labyrinth? Sure. I don't know. Can you? Can you role play it? We've literally done it before. We have a couple of times. So, yes. Done. Podcast over. <laughs> can you role play it? Absolutely. I played um, a character similar to Ludo, which shouldn't surprise anybody if you listened to our episode last week. He's my favorite character. Oh, Ludo's great. And I played a a character called Ludo, you know, very creative. <laughs> very distinct. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what race. I think he was like a barbarian. Bugbear. Bug he was a bugbear. Bugbear. Yeah. Barbarian, maybe. Or, or uh, no, what's the Guardian class from, because uh, I think this was in 4th edition. Oh, like a Warden? Warden! That's what I was thinking. There you go. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's perfect for Ludo. Yeah, He's, yeah. He controls rocks. Or he, sorry, let me rephrase that. He is friends with rocks. He calls to them. Calls to them. He asks them nicely, and they are inclined to listen. Yes. That, it was perfect. And he died in the first session. It was very sad. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, well. Also, Bugbear makes so much sense. The big hairy form with the, like, ten foot long arms. Really good. Yeah. 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 
I would say in newer editions of yeah. uh, the game, you might want to... The game of the game. And of course, <laughs> by the game, I mean Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, a druid, I mean, relies more on mental stats. I would almost say that like a paladin of the ancients. How do we know Ludo isn't a genius and he just likes to speak in simpler forms? Or he just doesn't understand the language of everybody else. Yeah, maybe he sp- he just doesn't speak common very well. <laughs> Possibly. I like to think that for summoning the rocks, his verbal component is just screaming. You know? <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> but I was going to say, I mean, Ludo's more of a charisma character for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, so a paladin totally. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, Proficiency intimidate. Why? With his big form. But he's so friendly and lovable. Not to goblins. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah, he he does rely on intimidate a lot. Yeah, you know, I was just kidding anyways. <laughs> yeah. Because I think he prefers that over actual fighting. Yeah. I mean, that is the interesting thing about this movie. There's not a lot of fighting. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, it is mostly Ludo calling rocks to defeat the goblins while Sarah and the others avoid confrontation. It's mostly exploration and puzzles, which is cool. Yeah. I would definitely make a Labyrinth-inspired campaign be puzzle-heavy uh, if I was doing it today. Not when I was running it for you and I killed your Ludo character. I was not as subtle of a DM at that point. Yeah. You probably don't want to kill off major characters in the first session, you know. Well, this is 4th edition, right? It, it was. was. Were you even allowed to roleplay in 4th edition? <laughs> Yes, stop. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. I think 4th edition, for, you know, all the smack people talk about it, had some of the coolest races and interesting classes, though. Oh, the to its credit. The 4th edition classes, I mean, I wish that newer editions would lean in as hard to, like, cool nature-based classes, because there was an entire primal power source in 4th edition that had some of my favorite classes. I mean, the druid that we're familiar with, but then the warden and... The shaman, right? Wasn't that a thing where you got a spirit animal? The, sh- the shaman was a thing, yeah. The shaman was cool. There was a... a uh, I can't remember what it's called now. The seeker. It was like a an archer who had... It was probably the worst class in the system, but it was such a cool idea. It was like a nature archer or thrown weapon specialist who was a controller. So they would like fire arrows that would like uproot as vines that would grab opponents by the ankles and stuff. Oh, dude, you could flavor that as one of the fire gang where you like throw your head and then it bites someone to root them. (laughs) (laughs) I miss the shifters a lot. I used to play shifters. Well, then you'll be glad to know that shifters are back in fifth edition. Oh, shit. When did that happen? Uh, when the Eberron book came out. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, that was recent, so I feel better. <laughs> I mean, not that recent. To me, in my reckoning, I, I don't understand time very well. I was going to say, Chelsea understands time on a geological scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of. You don't measure time using uranium decay? 
Weird. <laughs> the Roman Empire, that was recent, right? <laughs> kind of. Fall of Babel, that was that was recent. Or the Tower of Babel, that was recent, right? Look, it's all part of the Anthropocene, okay? Sure. <laughs> we uh We're a mere blip. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta think of it as the whole epoch. <laughs> Internet Explorer is happy to announce King Sargon I finally united Mesopotamia. Things are really looking up <laughs> around here. Oh, phew. That was a scary couple of years. Yeah. I think they're a little behind. They're a little slow. So let's talk about uh, some of the other characters. Uh, how about one of my favorite characters, Sir Didymus? So obviously some kind of cavalier. Like a cavalier, if you're playing, say, totally Pathfinder with a mount with a steed, right? Exactly. Um, ambrosius. ambrosius. So, like a wolf steed, maybe like a goblin riding a wolf. Oh, not a goblin. Let's see. A Why not? A cobalt, because goblins are already a thing in this world. I mean, who knows what Sir Didymus is? But you can have a friendly goblin. Yeah, but that's Hoggle. Okay. okay. Well, okay, not friendly. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, in the olden days of D&D, kobolds were more dog-like. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So kind of like a classic kobold riding a wolf. I love it. Okay. Oh, that's really great, actually. That fits so well. Yeah. I mean, the thing about anything Jim Henson is that, like, nothing is going to fall into the usual, for lack of a better word, racial makeup of D&D characters like you know goblins in the movie are different from like D goblins yeah it's true when you look at a jim henson monster you're like i don't even know what i'm looking at i i don't have right. words to describe this actually i mean what is a fire gang yeah right i was <laughs> thinking about them exactly they are dancing around a fire yeah yeah but that's about it <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Well, Jamie, you kind of had an idea of what to make them in D&D in the Labyrinth one-shot you ran. Okay, let's talk about that. You made them skeletons, because they could take off their body parts. Yep. And toss them around. Yeah, I don't know if you had them xylophoning the way that skeletons do, but I imagine you could. It was was implied. Yes, that's right. Why even bring it up? Why? Yeah, the I, implied like, xylophone. <laughs> so, just for some context, I've run two labyrinth-inspired D and I'd say one was intended to be a campaign. I only think we got one or two sessions of it in. That was back in fourth edition, and then Jack and Chelsea's sister Lacey hired me to do a birthday one-off for some of her friends who had never played D and D before, where I did a labyrinth-inspired birthday story where uh, Lacey's character was uh, a bard whose uh, puppy was stolen instead of little brother. Right. And I had Jack come in and and play the villain for that session. Yeah, my sister's bard was named Cartier Bardi. (laughs) I'll leave that as where it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was fun. I enjoyed it. Didn't you play a Hogwarts-inspired character, Chelsea? Maybe because I was kind of, like, helping you uh, DM a little bit. I was kind of like your assistant. Yeah, you were my inside man. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. 
you were a dwarven cleric, if I remember correctly, because when we faced, or when you faced the fire gang, I was the villain, so I wasn't part of you guys. <laughs> when you guys faced the fire gang, right, and they were the skeletons dancing around the fire, you used, uh, I think it was Turn Undead, and they all ran away. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed... It was yeah, great. It seemed like Fairly. a more labyrinth way to handle it, instead of you just, like, bludgeoning them to death, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just being like, ooga booga, and them getting scared and running away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked. It was, like, kind of uneventful that way, but it was, uh... Very much in the vein of the labyrinth. I yeah, think. I mean, Sarah runs away from the fire gang, so it's fitting to have the fire gang run away from the party in a D&D context. You don't necessarily want to create a scenario where the, the players are solving their problems exactly the way that Sarah does in the movie, which is being a little whiny and running away from things. She's basically a level zero commoner. Yeah, not not necessarily fun to play a whole adventure of i'm yeah. just imagining if i was the dm for that and i would just make the fire gangs like main attack just be like a grapple where they start trying to pull your head off oh, yeah nice. i mean that's what they do to sarah yeah. yeah i'm just imagining all these first time players though one of them dies from it and their head just gets ripped from their body oh, God. <laughs> it's like I hope you liked the game. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, his head do come off. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, that makes him very scary in a D&D context. Yeah. The vile decapitators. Yeah, I do like to make my monsters scary. I think if I were going to reskin Hoggle again, I might... If I were going to cleave a little bit closer to the story in the movie, the character in the movie, he might be more of a scoundrel type, a thief, mm -hmm. something like that. Fitting. Yeah. He's always, he, he has all these ways of getting through the labyrinth and all these shortcuts. and He knows who the traps are. Yep. So right off the bat, great rogue. Mm -hmm. He knows he's, how to avoid them. He's sneaky and stealthy. Mm-hmm. He's a coward, like many rogues. He can also kind of, like, see through illusions a little bit. Also fitting. Yeah. Also very fitting. And, in fact, in older editions, or in, like, Pathfinder, um, rogues are usually the only class that can find magical traps. Oh. Or find and disarm magical traps. So, very appropriate <laughs> for that role for Hoggle. Um, I would, you know, what's interesting about Labyrinth, and, and what really breaks it from a lot of D&D stuff and, and, you know, a change that we're starting to see more as D&D &D is growing up and catching up with the times mm -hmm. is that the goblins have like cities and culture and like are living in the, the capital city here. They're under a monarchy, but not like a tribal system. So they're portrayed in a very different way in this movie in a lot of ways. They're still a little coarse, but they are a civilization in, like, the more popular usage of the term. Not the anthropological sense, where every group of people is a civilization. Yeah. They are a civilization, like, with buildings and engineering. They have a hierarchical system. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, which is common, I think, in D&D, but it's not like a chiefdom. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it is it is calling on different historical tropes. Mm -hmm. So here's my headcanon on that, right? In D&D, &D, goblins normally have, like, a boss. Whether it's just, like, a tough goblin or, like, a hobgoblin or a bugbear, you know? Yeah. But uh, in this one, of course, it's Jareth, right? And so I think it's more like his success that the goblins are just kind of like following on the heels of, right? And in D&D, &D, I always imagined him as like some sort of archfey. And his domain of the Feywild is this labyrinth sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And nice. so he has all these goblins as his followers. And he's like, here, live in this city and do this, do this stuff. And they're just like, okay. And You know what? I, I love this especially... Fey goblins. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, that's why they are so varied in their appearance, right? Because the Feywild is an inherently chaotic plane. And I like to imagine the longer you spend there, the more it changes you. So some of them are like little orange, hairy monkey things. And yeah. other ones are like big, leather-skinned, horned things. So it makes sense why their appearances would vary so much. So is the effect that it has on Jareth that his bulge just increases in size every year the longer he's in there? It's a demi-plane. <laughs> it's its own demi-plane. Yes. Or maybe it's just his cod piece that grows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at this point the two are indistinguishable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I also like Labyrinth as a adventure setting because there is so much you can do with different puzzles, different traps, different types of characters and types of monsters and stuff that you're going to run into because the labyrinth is populated with all this stuff. Yeah. Whether it's helpful worms or helping hands. There are logic traps like with the um, riddles right. that you have to pass. There are actual mechanical traps that you yep. have to avoid. There's like the a, cleaners. The cleaners in the tunnels below the pit trap where she falls into the oubliette right before that. With the helping hands, you know. She told the hands where she wanted to go. I mean, that was that was just her mistake, I guess. There are magical traps, like with the peach. <laughs> what is going on in the labyrinth when when Jareth does not have, or does he like do this every day? Is this like a thirteen hour cycle, and then tomorrow he kidnaps another baby and and starts it over again with another person? Maybe. Like you have to keep all these denizens of the labyrinth employed. <laughs> or are they even active when there's not a protagonist moving through them? <laughs> mind blown but let's keep talking about the traps um so i mentioned i last mentioned the illusory traps like with the peach that pull actually does physically take her into like another realm that's inside the globe because when right. she comes back out she's in a different part of the labyrinth that's when she comes back into the trash heap <laughs> right the so, trap is, is like it's a poison that knocks her out and then 
transports her. Tra- like, moves her, but she's like... So is she moving around while she's under the spell of it? Maybe I she's not so. totally knocked out? It's very weird. Well, I mean, I guess that's just the Henson of it all. Yeah, when she gets knocked out, Jareth blew those glass balls, turning them into bubbles, and she was inside of one of them, being transported. Ludo, Didymus, and and uh, Ambrosius look up at it while she's drifting by. Yeah, they do. And they see her inside. Yeah, I think she's in the bubble, yeah. Totally. That's that's the impression I got. Yeah. I mean, we're we're all in a bubble somewhere, so in some ways. There are also mm-hmm. psychological traps in the movie. There's the one where she's going through the tunnels with the faces that are trying to misdirect. Oh, the uh, false alarms. The false alarms. They're trying to misdirect her and make her think she's going the wrong way. And Hoggle tells her, you know, in the labyrinth, it things are all, you'll often run into false alarms like these when you're on the right track. Right. So you have to have like a lot of psychic attacks and stuff yeah. kind of affecting the players. Yeah. And seeing if they can withstand it with willpower. And yeah. Stuff. A lot of misdirection. Yeah. There's another psych- type of psychological trap she comes into in the trash heap when the old woman, the, the, not the trash hag, what's her name again? The junk lady. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> That's the name of her character in the credits, the junk lady. Um, she pulls Sarah into a room under the trash that looks like her bedroom from home. And that's another type of psychological trap. She's trying to get her to forget her mission and just be content to be in this facsimile of her own room. Right. Yeah, a lot of temptation type stuff. A lot of um, wisdom or willpower saves, I would say. Charisma saves if you're Mm -hmm. playing 5th edition. Yeah. I'm a fan of intelligence saves, but, you know, they're pretty rare. Yeah, intelligence and charisma saves rarely come up. Let's backpedal a little bit and talk about... I just had an idea that that bubble dimension, the ballroom she goes to when she takes a bite of the peach, that trap, it's such a cool illusion, and that could be the basis for a whole session. That would be really neat. A ball? A masquerade? Yeah, a masquerade ball that you get pulled into and you have to find a way out. Oh, yeah, and you, like, scatter hints around the ballroom that are, like, things out of place, which are, like, reality. Yeah. Where, you know, you see, like, Sir Didymus's hat on a rack or something. Nice. And you're reminded of, you have, like, a slight memory and you're like, wait a minute, something's not right. Yeah, because when she's in there... She totally forgets her mission, and she's just obsessed with finding Jareth. So who wouldn't it's, be? It's like she's con- being controlled at that point. So you're right, Jack. There would it would be really neat to have those reminders and like give the players a chance to make a check to try to remember what they were supposed to be doing, and that they're even in an illusion. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing is is challenging to convey to a group of players. So you have to plan it really well, and you have to really have a good level of trust with your party that they will join you on that adventure. Mm-hmm. In in terms of that, they they will buy into the story that you're telling. 
Right. I guess that you could say that with almost anything in a role-playing game, though. Sure, but especially something where you're asking the players to pretend they don't know something they know. That could be fun. It can be. You just have to know you're doing it with the right group. I don't think that this campaign is perfect for every group, obviously. This idea. Because it is heavily role-play and puzzle-centric. I mean, you can blend in fights. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, not every group likes puzzle play and stuff like that. So. Yeah, well, that's their problem. <laughs> oh, that'd be funny if you replaced all their attacks or spells or whatever with different dance moves. <laughs> and you have to make, like, checks and stuff to do them. <laughs> and then a combat is, like, a specific, like, routine dance that you have to try and match with someone. You fail your dexterity throw. Your partner stomps your toes. <laughs> you take damage. Oh, I was thinking, like, when you mess up one of the critical dances, one of your clues disappears or something. Oh, neat. Like, you have to work, you have to work with, for example, the wizard who's keeping you there. And part of your investigation or part of your escape attempt is making sure that he doesn't realize. And if you're distracted by thinking about clues and ways to escape and you mess up your dance move, he realizes that something is off and you've seen somewhat that you're not where you're supposed to be. I don't know. It's just an idea. Yeah, I like it. You I know like what it. else I... I... Well, I just wanted to say real quick, this is giving me an idea. This feels much more like what would be appropriate is a social encounter rather than trying to make it into a combat. And that is kind of like combat, but for social um, interactions. Every social encounter can become combat if you try hard enough. Uh, well, it could potentially be if it goes really bad, because um, something that Jack brought up... You've ruined the ball! <laughs> we will kill you now. <laughs> Something that Jack brought up in our main episode last week was that the, it seems like the people who are populating the ballroom are the goblins in human their human form because they all have goblinoid-looking masks that they have. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, hypothesis. I, I like I it a it. lot. <laughs> yeah. It's so, pretty neato. Yeah. And, you know... Like we said in the episode, if those are kids that Jareth has taken, perhaps it takes only 13 hours for someone so young to be changed by the Feywild into one of his goblins. Yeah. yeah. That could be what it is. That's, a, that's a, a thing to have your players kind of realize over time that a lot of the people they're interacting with are former humans or elves or dwarves who've been changed by their time in this fey demi-realm. Yeah, Jareth is <clears throat> has almost godlike powers in his realm. So We're not turning this into another Ravenloft. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. he can kind of change things or create things that his on his, his whims uh for whatever he thinks he wants in that moment or what fits the scenario so sometimes he might turn people into goblins sometimes he might turn them into a door knocker <laughs> right <laughs> and then stuff a ring through their mouth or ears yeah 
turn him into a bird hat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Changing yeah. them into just hands mm-hmm. that are helpful, I guess. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really great about running a Labyrinth campaign is you get to do something that I think rarely we see, which is having a bard big bad evil guy. Yeah. I mean, which is great, because how perfect is that? I know. He's always singing. Yep. Just like a bard. Yep. Controlling people, using traps and and manipulation, just like a bard. Mm -hmm. Wearing a cod piece, just (laughs) like every bard. He puts a lot of effort into all of his outfits. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And we mentioned in the episode that the goblins really like him. Yeah. Yeah. He has great a lot charisma. of charisma. I think it's, yeah, it's great that, you know, the idea of a villain not having just, like, crazy cult supporters or, like, underlings that totally fear him. And I think they do fear him to a degree because he's strong and unpredictable. Mercurial. Yeah. But Capricious. they also have a lot of fun while he's around. So I like to think that they're loyal to him because they, you know, they admire him. So yeah. so you don't think the sing-alongs are, like, just an obligation that they are, like, forced into? Like, they're genuinely enjoying it. Oh, yeah, they're dancing, they're jumping. I'm, I'm into it. That's that's nice. That's nice. They improv with him? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think they they're riff. into it. Yeah. Call and response. It's, like, the most fun they get to have, because otherwise it's just, like, they try to fill their time with whatever they can think of. Well, they, like, get sent out on missions to spy on uh, teenage girls and find out when they're asking to have their siblings kidnapped. Oh, my God. He's lustful, like a bard. <laughs> That's true. But no, like, the, the goblins that we first meet in the movie are hiding in a closet at Sarah's house, waiting for her to say the words. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they have jobs. That's because Jareth has missions. already picked her. He's following her around in owl form before that. True. Good point. So he sent them there. You know, it's a good inversion of the chosen one trope, though. It's not chosen by destiny. Like, the the party can be chosen by the villain. Yeah. To fulfill this thing. So it's a little bit more insidious, but also breaks the, the heroic tropes that we're all familiar with. And I think pretty tired of. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> These are bold words coming from a guy who's... Uh, Part of his job is recording a podcast about fantasy movies to speak on uh, Destiny this way. Oh, yeah. Well, um, it's actually pretty cool. And you could just, like, she wasn't prepared to go on an adventure. But she really was. I mean, she was, like, maybe mentally prepared her entire life to go on an adventure. Exactly. But not... Not physically. She didn't have, like, any tools or food prepped or anything like that. She had a plastic bracelet. Came in handy. It was just whatever. It was just whatever was on her at the time that she got pulled in. And then she had to find allies and tools along the way. So you're saying it's more of a Metal Gear scenario. Maybe. Procure on site. Yeah. So you could have it kind of be like that for the campaign. That might be kind of neat. I also like to think of this as potentially a section of a campaign, right? 
because in my Viking setting, I couldn't resist putting a, a section of the Feywild as the labyrinth, right? And the players <laughs> will probably never interact with it. But uh, I was... Then your players are failing at D&D. I know, but I was kind of having an archfey that they have a chance to interact with loosely inspired off Jareth. And if they accept kind of the deal that he proposed to Sarah at the end of the film, he was going to be a archfey warlock pack patron, you know? Yeah. So if they accepted his deal, they could have started taking warlock levels with him as the patron. Terrifying. Yeah. And so Sarah could have done it. Could have been a warlock. Yeah. Yeah. That is actually a good way to tie in a character to the world is to have a warlock whose patron is the one controlling this. And somehow they are still able to channel their power, even though they are working against. Or are they? Maybe that could, there could be a twist about <laughs> that at be. some point. That's kind but, of like Hoggle, right? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. But I mean, if you have a main character who is a, a warlock with a pact with the, the Labyrinth Master, and they are still able to use their patron's power against them, I think that's an interesting Well, maybe it's because they're plot. a spy. I like that. Mm-hmm. Every moment we get closer to Curse of Strahd. <laughs> no, no, no. Because he can be friends with the players, right? And, like, have a spy on the inside in that campaign, I'm pretty sure. I mean, when you have a chance to be Strahd's friend, you should always be Strahd's friend. It's true, but Strahd is a little delusional, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it could be that Jareth is so focused on other stuff, he can't even see that one of his agents is working against him. Yeah, I mean, he's not omniscient. No. He relies on reports of what's going on sometimes. I mean, sometimes he's able to spy on people and gain knowledge that way, but he doesn't know what's going on in all areas of his domain at the same time. We know this from in the movie. We get a clue. I mean, there are multiple clues, but one big one is when Sarah is reported from, by one of his goblin captains as being in the city. And he's like, whoa, everybody get up and start defending it and fight back. He's yeah. caught off guard. He he's also he using didn't know like she a, was there. He's also using like a telescope to, to see where she is at one point. Mm-hmm. That was cool. It's like a magical scrying. Yeah. So in D&D, you could make that a magic item like a scrying orb. Yeah. Because it shows him images of Sarah when she's in the oubliette, right? Right. And so it's like he's using it to scry on her, and perhaps it's like a once-a-day ability, or, you know, it has a certain amount of charges, so they can't just use it all the time. Right. Also, the plot only takes place in 13 hours, right? Or less. Right. So if it was only daily, he could only use it once, you know? Maybe it's hourly. And that's kind of like the days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and perhaps the oubliette is warded, right? Magically warded. So the reason why he scried on her then is because it set off an alarm that someone was in the oubliette. And he was like, oh, I'd better check on that. But Jack, you put somebody in an oubliette to forget about them. 
Why would you want a reminder that they're there? You're right. <laughs> well, she shouldn't have made it that far, remember? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's true. So, yeah, he does rely on these external means to gain information about her whereabouts and progress. So, he does not have omniscient understanding of what's happening in the labyrinth. Which I think is a good thing to aspire to when creating a compelling villain. Mm -hmm. It's always really annoying, like especially in certain movies and other media where the villain is always three steps ahead and they always seem to be able to be prescient with their ability to predict what everybody else is going to do at all times. And when in reality... It's so hard. We might think we know people, but it's so hard to predict things because people do act irrationally or they can make a snap decision that you didn't that you didn't have foresight about and like you can't always predict things. There are so many different factors going on all the time that you aren't always aware of that might affect somebody's decisions. And so you got to remember that when you're writing characters and, and planning out what a villain's going to do. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that writing a compelling villain is, is challenging for any writer or game master, but taking lessons from labyrinth, Definitely have your villain have limited and imperfect knowledge and having ways of acquiring it that can be dependent on what choices the players make. Mm -hmm. Whether it's certain rooms in the labyrinth have more capability of being spied on than others or That whatnot. are not known to the players. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, this gives your players a level of empowerment and agency that will make the whole campaign more interesting for them. So we've kind of avoided um, discussing how to roleplay one of the most important characters in the movie. If somebody wants to play a Sarah-inspired character, what should they be looking at? The thing is with Sarah is... She's kind of like the mundane, right? She's an NPC who uses courage, mostly. Sure. But, um, yeah. but I mean, in D&D &D terms, I mean, a lot of times with this type of thing, we have to kind of extrapolate what a character might be in a role-playing setting. Well, she has high mental stats, so we should consider that. I was thinking she could be, um, like... If any D&D &D class, a monk. <laughs> okay, I'm listening. She bat she punches a few people in the film. <laughs> she does. She punches <laughs> goblins. I think that's more of an attack of opportunity than anything. She rips off the fire gang's head with her bare hands, right? Well, that's like, that's, I think, just easy. I think that they just come off with kind of effortlessness. Well, hold on. <laughs> yeah, Hold do. on. She is able to climb and scale walls pretty easily. She Maybe she does have more physical stats than I was giving her credit for. She's not bad. She balances really well on the falling um, ledge when she's yeah. above the 
fog of eternal sin. She's able to hold up her own body weight. I just, a lot of people actually can't do it. It's harder than it seems. You know, I'm something of a rogue myself. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of is a rogue. I mean, she's she has physical and mental stats. She's kind of sneaky. She used, she thinks her way through things. <laughs> I guess as a monk, she would need wisdom. And as a rogue, you never need wisdom. I think she lacks... Well, as a rogue, you want wisdom if you want to see traps. I think she, but I think she like, lacks wisdom. Yeah. I think she kind of gains wisdom over time through fucking up a lot, but... um, She's kind of more intelligency. I yeah. can see wizard. I was thinking wizard, maybe. She's book smart. Yeah. She's a reader. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. She's kind of a theater geek, too. She has, I would say, Arcana in the context of the film. Yeah, she has high will stats, that's for sure. There's not going to be any perfect way to map this, because she is not a and d style adventurer by any stretch of the imagination. No, she is very atypical. Kind of going with like her qualities in the movie and her resourcefulness, I think Wizard is not a terrible choice. I yeah. could also see a paladin with high intelligence. And the reason is, is because... She just kind of, well, she uses charisma to get companions, right? Yeah. yeah. And she likes to stand up for her friends. Right. And a lot of paladin abilities are, like, just believing that you'll be okay or believing, like, that your friends can do this, believing, you know, yeah. belief and stuff like that. So being courageous, like she tries to do throughout the film, could be her using paladin abilities and, like, when she's able to hold up her own body weight, perhaps that's, like, a spell. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Because a lot of paladins, uh, I've seen flavored as they aren't, like, choosing to cast a spell. They just need it to happen, and it's sort of a passive thing that occurs. More of a miracle than a conscious effort. Yeah, exactly. So perhaps just her trying to be brave makes these things work out for her. Yeah, we talked about in our other episode that she does kind of have this just extreme level of confidence in herself and her ability to succeed. Foolhardy that... confidence is a paladin prerequisite. So. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Also, per you know, they see a lot of scary stuff. And perhaps she has an aura that makes it so her allies aren't afraid. That's a paladin thing. Nice. I like it. I think she, it works. She also has a lot of hard ideas about how things should be that are often wrong. So paladin seems fitting. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair, I can see, as being a great paladin quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She That's has... emblazoned on their shield in Latin. <laughs> yes. She does kind of have a black and white view of morality and... And the, how the world should work. Yeah. Well, you guys have sold me. Anything else we want to talk about for role-playing Labyrinth? Although I think the worm is a really powerful character, it's probably too strong to be played as a player. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, they know how to get through the Labyrinth. It's true. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if they 
could somehow become a parasite and could give insights to a character through their dreams or something. That would be pretty cool, actually. Oh my god. Now we're doing more of a sci-fi, like, alien campaign. (laughs) Body horror labyrinth. Yeah. Also, just think, that, that worm, right? It has a scarf. But no hands to make a scarf. <laughs> That's true arcane power right there. Yeah. Who do you think the missus was? Like, what if we? I think we always assume there's another worm, but what if, like. But what if? I'm just. My mind is reeling with the possibilities. Like, what if she was going to meet, like, Ludo in there or. <laughs> or Jareth, even? Oh my god. Could have been anything. Exactly. The possibilities are endless. Also, there's tea in there, right? So there must be a little house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had to have made that with magic. You know, maybe it was one of those, like, magnificent mansion spells. Yes. And the doorway is just big enough for a worm. Great point. Yeah. That is awesome. Oh, dude, that's so great. You try to go into the hole, and you, like, shrink in, and you go in, it's just this huge mansion on the inside. Yeah. Sarah really dropped the ball by not having that cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually uh, one of the first traps she comes along, to be honest, because... A social trap. He keeps trying, yeah, to use the social contract against her to keep her from... um, like exploring the maze more temptation mm-hmm. come inside and meet the missus yeah come and have a nice mm. cup of tea don't worry about the labyrinth yeah it's big <laughs> and scary and what's really at the end of it just a horrible castle yeah that's right over there down the left hand path yeah don't go that way that's... never go that way yeah so he he misleads her and she fails that trap yeah, true. <laughs> Good point. So she fails her first trap of the whole maze. Pretty crazy if you think about it, because <laughs> that implies that one choice you make at the very beginning of the labyrinth could cut the entire time. So yes, Jareth completely relies on that worm to deceive any travelers. Yeah. Crazy. Besides the illusion that it there's no... There's also, that's compounded with the illusion uh, that there's no twists or turns off of the first main path that you go into. Right. So I want to suggest for anybody who wants to run a Labyrinth-inspired campaign, you should do a web search to look for puzzles. There's all kinds of great puzzles you can find, just general puzzles, and then one specifically designed for D&D and other role-playing games on, like, drive through RPG and stuff. Um, You can find a lot of free ones or cheap ones, depending on what you want to do. I've done a lot of things where I've gotten, um, like, gravity puzzles from, like, toy stores that I've had players put the puzzles together. I have one that... Oh, that was so great. You have to, like, drop a marble through different levels of plastic towers and, like, make the marble, like, go a certain way... That's really cool. The company Think Fun creates these really cool puzzles that you can reuse in multiple ways in an RPG. Uh, laser light puzzles with like mirrors and stuff that create some really cool potential in a D&D game. Things like that. I've done a lot of paper craft ones where you would print out paper and cut it into shapes and then the players have to 
recreate certain shapes using those pieces, kind of like elementary school puzzles that you might have done. Um, even stuff that's relatively simple can be really fun in a D&D context. Yeah. Because it gets the players' heads out of the usual way that they think about the game. And sometimes they're a little bit more deceptively challenging than you might think. Yeah. So I, I personally really enjoy that. It reminds me of like hidden object computer games and stuff where there's a lot of different types of puzzles you might experience over the course of an adventure. So I encourage you to give those a try and challenge your players in ways that don't just rely on the stats on their character sheets. Yeah. I had a lot of fun playing with those puzzles to maybe like rewire a computer and it kind of assimilated that. Right. Or um, get through a magical barrier or something like that. It, it was really fun to have that physical puzzle to work with rather than just I I mean I love dice rolling you know but it's it's fun to uh change it up a little bit sometimes yeah it just you you can be really creative you can think of ways to incorporate the puzzles in fun or interesting ways you can have say an action economy where if you have it going on in the middle of a combat maybe one character has to expend some of their turns solving the puzzles and that lets the players who are more interested in combat focus on combat and the players who might like doing puzzles can have something to do where they break away from fighting in the game. And maybe every action they spend allows them to take so many actions in the puzzle or like make so many moves in a puzzle. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an idea I'm kind of borrowing from the game Mansions of Madness, second edition, where if you use an action to manipulate a puzzle you get a certain number of moves based on your stat in mm -hmm. that puzzle for every action you spend yeah i was thinking that as well and you could use an intelligence modifier to tell you how many moves you get yeah yeah or different modifiers depending on the type of puzzle if you're creating like a lock picking puzzle then maybe dexterity gives you more moves and that will encourage different players or different characters to decide to do the puzzles while the other players are doing something else. Yeah. So yeah, those are just some ideas you can run with. We hope that you give it a shot because we think this movie really translates well into a role-playing game in a lot of ways. If you have any other suggestions or you want to talk about any of the ideas we've presented, go ahead and send us an email at swordsandsatire at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. And until next time, keep rolling those dice. Thanks, guys. Thank you.